us to the hope we have about our past, about the present, about the future. Um, this week, our theme is faith, and so that's where I'll be resting today. Um, we also have this Advent wreath here today. This is also a traditional practice to help us remember where we are going, uh, giving us a roadmap to Christmas and remembering Jesus all throughout this season. So I'm going to light this first candle. This was for last week for faith. And then I'm going to light our second candle here. I'm sorry, for hope. I said that wrong. I will write our, light our second candle here for faith. And we'll keep lighting these every Sunday until we get to our Christmas Eve celebration. Great. Okay, so there is one thing you should know about me. Well, okay, there's a lot of things, but one thing I'll introduce you to about me is that I love Christmas music. Um, I grew up performing it. It's, it's like I, I think I know almost every single Christmas song out there from top to bottom. And, but actually, there are three Christmas songs I don't like. And... We can fight about it after church if you need to. Just let me know. Um, the first one is called Christmas Shoes. Do you remember that song? Yeah, it's, it's a really sob story song that usually plays on the radio um, about a kid who's about to lose his mom and he's trying to buy her some shoes. He doesn't have money and it's just, it's just sad. Okay. <laughs> um, the second one is also an older song called Breath of Heaven. Um, it's just really emotional. It's a, the song about Mary, and she's kind of exploring, like, oh, God, what do I do? I'm having this baby. Uh, how do I trust you? So it's a good message, but the song itself, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I can't handle it. And the third one I'm pretty sure you're going to disagree with me about is, actually, I don't like Mary. Did you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I was kind of laughing at this because today's story is... Mary, did you know? And it's not that I don't want to empathize with her and Joseph and their faith journey. Maybe that song is just overplayed too much. I don't know. But today I decided to step into the Christmas story in a more genuine way. Hopefully I didn't ruin those songs for you. <laughs> um, but that is the story we're going to work through today. So um, I have a dear friend and we were talking on the phone a couple months ago and just catching up on life because it had been a while. And she has been walking through an autoimmune disease, um, some crazy things with her teenagers and kids, um, and just a lot of highs and lows. And we're on the phone, and I just am empathizing with her, thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe everything that's going on in your life right now. And then she said something that just struck my heart like a bolt of lightning. She goes, but isn't God's presence enough? And I felt very challenged, and I kind of got really quiet, and I said, what? Will you say that again? She goes, isn't God's presence enough to see me through? And I felt so convicted, and also simultaneously my faith was stirred because I was like, you're right. The God of the universe at any time, I can, I can ask him to be in the midst of where I am, and his presence is enough to see me through, no matter what I'm walking through, big or small. So as my kids are hitting new stages, um, when the door handle on my car broke two months ago, and it was a lot of money to fix it, 
oh my goodness. Um, when I walked out the highs and lows of moving to a new community, we moved here in 2019, um, huge change in our lives. I took a new job, um, our littlest was a tiny baby, it was just a crazy season. And then this past year, I also lost two of my grandparents. And so, me, like all of you, I've been riding some highs and some lows, as well as just lots of kind of everyday life, right? And so my friend, her message, it just really struck a chord in me. It was like the Holy Spirit was saying, yeah, guess what? My presence is enough for you too. So I have seasons where I look around my life and my faith feels really tangible and strong, almost like I could just see for miles and see the future and I'll get these glimpses of, you know, God at work. Um, but actually most days, my perception and my faith is more what I would call an in-between or like a messy middle type of day. Um, and those are the days where my faith really does seem as small as a mustard seed. Not to be cliche, but you know, that is the scripture our church is based off of, that if you have faith as small, of a mountain, uh, as, small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Um, but sometimes when you think about your faith being that small, it feels like you don't have very much to give. If I think about a little mustard seed in the palm of my hand and I kind of lift it up to God and I'm like, okay, here's what I have today. So what about you? So today we're going to get into God's word and we're going to explore the highs and the lows of the faith journey that Mary and Joseph walked out after they said yes to becoming the parents of Jesus. And they, among many of the Bible characters before us, experienced great victories and losses as they walked out what God had asked them to do. Even in, one of the, in the middle of one of the greatest stories ever told, the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph experienced profound grief, a lot of waiting, and lots of confusing things that happened that were way beyond their control. So if you have your Bible or maybe have it on your phone, um, we're going to have it on the screen. Turn with me to Luke 1, and eventually we're going to end up in chapter 46, or I'm sorry, verses 46 through 56. So Luke 1, verses 46 through 56. But let me give you some backstory before we get to that point. So Luke 1 opens up with an angel appearing to a priest named Zechariah to tell him that he will be the father of John the Baptist. This is kind of crazy because um, Zechariah has been married to a woman named Elizabeth for decades, and the Bible says that they were righteous, upstanding people, but they had never had a baby, and they were decades into their marriage. Um, and so it happens. Elizabeth conceives. And six months later, God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary, who is a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, and he says, if you accept, um, you'll be the mother of the Messiah. And she says yes. And then also along the storyline in um, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph learns about Mary's pregnancy you know, they're really close to being married, and he starts to consider divorcing her because he has every right to do so. But an angel comes to him too and says, hold on, hold on, this is from me. This baby is from the Holy Spirit. You take her on. Let's do this. Take her on. Um, and so Mary then goes to Elizabeth's house, 
And when she gets there, Elizabeth is about um, six months into her pregnancy this time. And before Mary can even say anything, Elizabeth's baby just leaps for joy. And Elizabeth prophesies and looks at Mary and she's like, you're carrying the Messiah. You are blessed beyond measure. Um, You are highly favored of God, right? She's just like pouring encouragement into Mary, just giving Mary life and affirming what God is doing in her. So then, in response, Mary sings this song. So that's where we're going to be, Luke 1, 46 through 56. And this is Mary's response to Elizabeth's song. So it's like Mary starts to burst forth with life and prophesy. Okay. So, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So I want to share that moment because Mary is clearly having a mountaintop faith experience or an experience where her heart is so filled with faith that just life is just bursting out of her. I just see this um, life and encouragement and prophecy even. So my first point I want to make today is that sometimes our faith really is a mountaintop experience. What about you? Have you ever had a moment like this where, um, I mean, maybe you haven't been visited by an angel, but you've seen God answering prayers, um, or you're feeling your life start to change and shift, and someone prays over you and gives you a word. These are just like little boosts we get, and a lot of times it's, it's food that we need for the road to come. So Mary had just agreed to take a very big risk. She'd had this angel visitor. Um, she keeps getting more and more confirmation this is the right path. What a faith-filled moment in her life, right? Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, they're all having really similar, very faith-filled experiences where God is coming in and very drastically changing their stories. So sometimes faith is a mountaintop experience. experience. And we see this in other parts of the Bible, too. I was thinking about how um, Jacob, he had dreams, and he wrestled with angels, and God, you know, propelled him forward to continue the lineage of um, his grandfather, Abraham. Moses encountered God in a burning bush, right? Talk about a life-altering experience. God also called many of his prophets through dreams and visions, and they were just living their normal lives, and he just, in a moment, turned them 180, changed their direction, So we have a lot of evidence that God does meet us in these mountaintop moments. So I personally have never had an angel visit me, um, but I have had times in my life where I feel like God has answered my faith in some pretty wild ways. So I was thinking about um, actually our transition to moving here, and I thought I'd tell that story really quickly. So in 2018, um, I was finishing up graduate school at CSU Fort Collins, 
and I was pregnant with our third baby, Maceo, and um, we were all crammed into this, like, student housing apartment, and the whole year, Matt and I were just wrestling with, what's next? We don't know what's next. Like, I decided to start applying for jobs, but nothing's really panning out, and so we kind of decided that we were going to stay there again for another year and just keep looking and praying and asking God for the, what the next step was. Um, and then I got a call from an application I put into um, CMU, Colorado Mason University here in town. And all of a sudden, within a week, we were being offered a job and being asked to consider drastically changing our lives and moving across the mountains, um, moving away from family, friends, of course. And, but it just became clear so quickly how God started to line things up. Um, like we actually found a house that we could afford um, God had just given Matt a job that worked from home, so that was provided for. It was like this time where I just felt God almost every day. I'd wake up and be like, whoa, you did that too, and you did that, and you've been pre preparing this for us and our family. Um, it was just, I would call that a mountaintop experience, right, where I'm just really tangibly seeing God answer one after another, one thing after another. Um, I will say job hunting and moves and stuff have not always been that way for us, right? I'm not trying to say that you ha if you haven't felt that way or, you know, that you're not doing things right or anything. So please don't, please don't hear that. But just that particular experience for us, for me, felt very much like a mountaintop, clarifying, tangible faith experience. So how about you? God wants to meet with you. He wants to show up in your life in tangible ways, big and small. His heart is to heal you, to provide for you, to give you hope. Sometimes from the goodness of God, we can have these mountaintop experiences, and it's like they're fanning the flame of our faith, just giving us a boost. Um, so Joseph and Mary experienced some pretty vivid and amazing mountaintop calling experiences they chose to say yes, but they also had a lot to risk by saying yes to this radical path that God had laid out for them. So that leads me to the second idea I wanted to highlight, which is that sometimes faith feels more like a little tiny offering we have to give to God. Maybe a little mustard seed. Maybe you like, can't even see this, the little speck of faith that you have left, um, but that's all you have to give. And I think this is even more true in our in-between, waiting, messy middle times. Sometimes we might even feel like our faith is hanging by a thread and about to break. And we'll continue to see in this story that God is always at work. His presence is with us and his presence is enough to see us through no matter where we are at in our faith walk. Because here's the thing, we can't always live in mountaintop experiences it's just human existence, human condition, um, where we are in the kingdom of God right now, where his kingdom is here yet not fully here. We see him bursting through and um, doing things in our lives and around the world, but yet we also have to contend with darkness. Even within that, God is with us. His presence is enough to see us through. So let's look at Mary Joseph's journey passage. And that's actually what the faith candle is about traditionally um, in the Advent season, is this idea of how Mary and Joseph went from 
Nazareth to Bethlehem. So I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2, um, 1 through 7. And it's short, but I, there's a lot going on here. So before I read it, I wanted to give you a little more context again. After Mary's song and Joseph's dream, I imagine that the couple starts to make their life in Nazareth. Because um, remember, from that calling experience to when Mary gives birth, there's nine months. And I imagine they actually lost a lot of community, you know, because Joseph had every right to, the Bible calls it, what do some of the versions say, put Mary away or divorce her, which basically would have just kind of shamed her and she would have never been eligible or marriageable again in that how society worked at that time. But he didn't. And so I kind of imagine that his friends, he probably lost some friends, probably had some pretty angry family members. Um, and then not, not only that, but they entered in an in-between time. You know, this is the first time that they're going to be parents. Um, if you've ever had a kid before or, you know, maybe you want that in your life someday, it's kind of a crazy process to grow a baby. <laughs> um, and so they're going through that together. Um, and if that's not enough, there's a census that comes down. And a census was when the Roman government said, we're going to count everyone up. And to do that, we need you all to go back to your hometowns of origin and you need to do it right now. And so the census call comes, and it's at the very end of Mary's pregnancy. I found an L.A. Times story about the Bethlehem journey, and it was um, interviewing several different Bible scholars about what did that journey actually look like. And so first of all, it was a 90-mile road from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it wasn't just a pretty paved road. It was a very deserty, rocky, hilly road and went over quite a few hills and through forests. Um, and if you were really on your game, you could take this road about 20 miles a day. Most likely, Mary and Joseph were actually doing more like 10 miles a day, right? Because she's ready, almost ready to give birth. They're on a donkey, probably pulling a cart, things like that. Um, and then we don't know for sure, but most likely Jesus was born in late winter, early spring. And actually, the climate of the desert air they were in is very similar to what we live in here. So think about winter here. It's, you know, it's not like dumping snow all the time, but it can get pretty cold come January, February. And relentlessly, it's always cold and damp. Um, and so think about that for 10 days. And they probably wore these very heavy, scratchy, wooly tunics that were meant to keep out the water. Um, and so you'd have that on all the time. They'd pass through heavily forest areas. Um, archaeologists have found plaques or road signs from that time warning travelers of lions, bears, and wild boars. So they're having to fight off wild animals. Um, there were also usually bandits and pirates and robbers. And they actually might have been traveling in a caravan. We don't know. But this is like pretty typical of what that route would have looked like at this time. So with all of that backstory in mind, trying to give you a little bit of empathy for Mary and Joseph, right? Um, let's read this passage. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, sorry, to Judea, 
to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So I don't know about you, but circumstances like these would probably make me question whether or not I had heard God in the first place. Um, I would also wonder if he was near anymore, why he would even send me on this road. Sometimes faith feels like a little tiny offering, all we have to give. Maybe it's just hanging by a thread. As Mary and Joseph plodded through the desert, they experienced an excruciatingly slow in-between time. They also didn't even know what to expect when they got to Bethlehem. They didn't have a hotel reservation. Uh, They didn't have Yelp reviews so they could know what restaurants to try. They definitely did not have time to establish a patient relationship with an in-network birth team at the hospital. That's for all my medical friends in here. There's a lot of you. Um, One of the core lies I have struggled with my entire life is I am alone. If I don't work hard enough, if I don't please my friends enough, if I'm not fun enough to be around, if my workplace doesn't deem me to be good enough, if my students don't rate me high enough, I'm a professor now, remember? Um, Will I be alone? Am I alone? Do I have to work in order to not be alone? And as I stepped into Mary and Joseph's story this Advent season, it brought me a fresh and much-needed reminder that I am not alone. God was clearly with them all the way. And I don't know what those conversations looked like when they were in the desert, right? There's, there's just that little passage. And I was just trying to put myself in their story and think through what it was like to be there. Um, God's presence was enough to see them through, and it's enough to see me through, and it's enough to see you through too. So even for my in-between times, the times where I'm grieving and confused, um, maybe even when I'm having a dark night of the soul where I'm questioning everything I thought was true or good, any portion of faith that I can offer to him is enough. He's not weighing my faith on a scale and saying, you got enough today, not enough today, right? Anything I have to give him is enough. So sometimes faith is more like a tiny offering that I have to give to God. I would actually even argue that this waiting faith, this in-between faith, this messy middle faith is just as important as those mountaintop experiences that we often find ourselves chasing I'm in really good company, too. The Bible has many moments where we can examine examine people's waiting and even their messy middles. Um, God called Abraham in a mountaintop experience at the age of 75, but it actually took 25 years before Abraham's promised son was born. And there was a lot of crazy stuff that went down in his life in those 25 years, I have to say. You should read it sometime. It's a good story. David, another character from the Bible, he was anointed king as a teenager, and it actually took 15 years before he took on that mantle. He also had a lot of crazy stuff go down in his life between when God called him and when he actually stepped into that moment that God had promised would happen. 
And then Leif mentioned this last week as well, but there is a period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Malachi to Matthew, where there is 400 years of silence. And by that silence, we mean God didn't send a prophet. Um, the people of Israel just had to keep doing what they knew how to do one step at a time. But can you imagine 400 years of waiting, hoping, longing, wondering when is God going to fulfill his word and send us our Messiah? So there's so many other faith heroes I could name, both biblically, from history, from people I know in my own life right now, people who have walked out in real life um, what God has asked them to do, even in the middle of crazy things happening to them. So sometimes faith feels like a tiny offering I have to give to God. So as we close the day, and worship team, if you'll come up, um, in Wayne fashion, I do have some practicals for you. Sometimes faith is an experience that where we feel as bold as a lion, right? Like Mary's song where life was just exploding out of her. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Sometimes faith means we are simply walking out the journey, taking one step at a time towards a destination that might not even be clear yet. That's really good too. Sometimes faith is hard to grasp Just like Mary and Joseph walked through a deeply life-altering season, we are all also grieving losses, big and small. That is okay. That is normal. That is good. This faith is good, too. Faith is often, the most often, found in the middle of our waiting and our messes, and he is just as close to us in these spaces as he is when we feel him really tangibly in the mountaintop seasons. I would argue that he's maybe even closer um, because Jesus says in Matthew 4, or sorry, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 4 in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That comfort comes from the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is just there in the middle with us the most when we are poor in spirit, mourning and broken. So this week, my challenge to you is to recognize that God is with you. His presence is enough to see you through. He wants to meet you no matter where you are in your faith journey today. So I I want you to make a list of your tensions Um, either on a piece of paper, on your phone, I don't know, maybe in your head, but there's something about writing it out, typing it out. And I want you to pray specifically out loud about how God is with you through each of those tensions and those moments. And I want you to pray it this way. Pray that God will be with you. Pray that he'll be working things out and that his presence is enough to sustain you and see you through. So it might look like this. God, you are with me as I walk into my office. God, you are working things out with this friendship that is just causing my heart to ache. God, your presence is enough to sustain me even as I watch my kid drift away from me and you. Right? Just some examples of how you could pray that rhythm out 
for yourself this week. Even though we all face questions and confusions and we will not see with complete clarity through our natural eyes, the hope we do have is that one day we will see God face to face. There will be no more deserts to cross, no more turbulent nights of questioning and wondering and grieving. But until then, and even now, in the messy middle, we are completely assured that his presence is enough to see us through. So can I pray for you today before I hand it off to uh, some ministry time? God, thank you that you see us. You see us perfectly, deeply, fully, even though we don't understand everything that's going on in us or in our lives or in the lives around us. Thank you that your presence is enough. And I just bless my family here today, my mustard seed family, with the faith to know that your presence is enough to see them through wherever they find themselves, this hour, this day, this week, this month, whatever their hopes and dreams for, their losses, their griefs. And I pray today for your comfort and your faith and your hope to surround us as we continue to journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen.